Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Make sure I'm at my right spot. Well, welcome to St. Peter's Fireside's online service today. My name is Preston. I'm one of, the, one of the pastors here, and I'm glad you're joining with us on this Pentecost Sunday to worship. So uh, will you take a moment to pray with me? Living God, we come before you today with grateful hearts. Thank you for um, creating this opportunity, this moment in time for us to gather and to hear you speak from your words once again. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, and we pray and ask, Holy Spirit, that you will come and fill our minds and hearts uh, with all understanding to hear you, to know you, to experience you more fully this day, through your words, through your worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as Lloyd just mentioned, uh, today is a special day for the church. It's our birthday, not just for St. Peter's Fireside, but the the Capital C Church, the church of all times. Uh, It's been a birthday weekend at my house. My oldest son's birthday is on Tuesday coming up, so happy birthday, Elliot, if you happen to be watching right now. Uh, Birthday has been on the mind, but Pentecost Uh, Pentecost Sunday is the day we celebrate the beginning of the church, all the way back to the first apostles in Jerusalem. And it was quite a party. Lloyd just read the story for us where it all began. If you're not familiar with the church calendar and what Pentecost means, uh, let me fill you in on what's going on. So at Easter, 50 days ago, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ Uh, our Savior and our God. This is the greatest moment for us as a church. If he did not rise, then all of this is in vain. The New Testament tells us that after Easter, Jesus spent 40 days with his apostles, hanging out with them, teaching them, uh, eating with them, preparing them for uh, his departure, and that he was going to send another. And then after 40 days, he, he did ascend to return to be with the Father, but said, wait, stay in Jerusalem, hang out in the city, and the gift, I'm going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit in a short time. And sure enough, and sure enough, 10 days later, Acts tells us, Jesus does exactly this on Pentecost Sunday. So 40 days with the disciples and 10 days waiting, 50 days of Easter, 50 days of joy we've had to celebrate since Easter. And now it's Pentecost, and this is the moment where the Spirit comes and creates the church, which is God's people of all times, the church. So happy birthday, church. Happy birthday, church. We won't sing happy birthday, but uh, you know it is. So today is the day we're reflecting on this. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about spirituality. We're going to talk about living a spirit life. Now, if this makes you feel a little uncomfortable or a little skeptical, Uh, I can understand that. We tread into deep waters, don't we, when we talk about spirituality. There's a lot said about it these days, and almost everyone is interested in some way or another, certainly in Vancouver. I don't know if you know it, but uh, near my house on 4th Avenue, there's a little bookstore called Banyan Books, and you can go in there and read up on spirituality all day long uh, from every imaginable angle. I mean, they have everything on spirituality. from all different angles, but I don't know if there's anything written on Acts 2. I haven't checked, but uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, but, but spirituality is core to what it means to be a Christian. We read this story right from Acts 2, right from the beginning. Spirituality was part of our, is part of our faith. We are spiritual. We live spiritual lives. 
And we have an invitation into spirituality that's deep and sometimes dramatic, like, like Acts 2 tells us, uh, that I don't think anything at Banyan Books can touch. It's really good stuff. The invitation is here right in our scriptures. And, and in addition to that, there's a long tradition in history in the Christian church of engaging uh, the spirit that we can draw from. This is a gift. And again, I realize some of you may not know much about this or may feel nervous, but whether that's from confusing experiences in the church, uh, when spirit things come up, or just hesitancy about where the conversation could go. So let me say this right at the front. Christian biblical spirituality means that our lives are wrapped in the spirit of God. That's what it means. Our lives are wrapped in the spirit of God, the same spirit that hovered over the waters at creation, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, wraps, uh, wraps around us and wraps our lives when we are in Christ. And the spirit life is a journey with this spirit, with God's spirit, learning to recognize the spirit, learning to pay attention to it, learning to listen to it, and living more in the reality that God's spirit is near. And this is really good news for us as Christians, because living a spirit life is the Christian hope against a life of meaninglessness, against a flat life of hopelessness and existential angst that so many in our world feel today. Does anything matter? The spirit life is the antidote to this. Thomas Merton put it this way. He said, the only cure for the angst of modern man is mysticism. Now, if that word (laughs) totally blows your mind, uh, to slow down a second, a mystic is someone, is simply this, is someone who has experienced God and believes this is possible. Someone who's experienced God and thinks that that's actually a thing that you can do. Do you think it's possible to experience God? Have you ever experienced God in any way? This gets us to a big question, really, about what it means to be a human being. At the end of the day, are we a sum of our biology and psychology? Or is there something more going on? Is there something more in us and in our world that can't be described from those realms? So the spirit life is a whole paradigm shift. It's going from a world of two-tone beige to a world of 3D technicolor. It's a difference between a life story that says life sucks, then you die, and a life story that Jesus offered. If you thirst, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me out of his soul will flow rivers of living water. That's the spirit life. And this is our main idea today. The Christian life is a spirit life. That's it. The Christian life is a spirit life. But this needs some unpacking. What is a spirit life? And maybe even before that, what is spirituality? We have to start with these questions because, as I said, this language is used today to mean lots of different things. So this week, I did an experiment. I went into Google and I typed spirituality of dot, 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 and see what popped up in the feed just to see what people are spiritually searching for, literally. I got spirituality of aging, conflict, fundraising, music, nature, resistance, water, spring, indigenous peoples, surfing. There are people exploring spiritualities 
of just about anything out there. And here's what they mean when, when they say that. Spirituality, in a broad sense, is anything and everything that people name to speak about significance in their lives. This may include God. This may include their journey of personal meaning. It may include concern for the world. It may include any of these things. Eugene Peterson helps us, under, helps us here. He says, yes, it's actually really hard to put a finger on this word, spirituality. It's really hard to define. But there's two elements that are at play. Transcendence, vaguely intermingled with intimacy. Transcendence, vaguely intermingled with intimacy. What is transcendence? The sense that there is more out there beyond my little life. There's got to be more out there beyond, than, than just my little life. And intimacy, you know what this is. It's a vulnerable closeness. That there is something inside of me that can't be reduced just to my biology and psychology. There's, there's a yearning for vulnerable closeness. Now, spirituality recognizes the link between these two things. That there is something more in here that longs for intimacy. And there is something more out there that I want to get in on that can, that can connect with this need. So, for example, I could develop a spirituality of surfing. I mentioned that one earlier. Because something about, something about the longing in me for intimacy is tapped into when I get on that board and paddle out on the waves early in the morning in the great, big, vast ocean. This is a real thing, by the way. You can read up on it. And the out there of the vast ocean and waves moving freely along the invisible tides on my surfboard, something about that makes me feel alive and like I matter and like there's more. There's some unique energy there that I can get in touch with in a unique way. Now, you may be able to relate to this example in some way in your life, or you may not, I don't know. But I do think there's something hopeful about these, about these searches for significance through various spiritualities. They're, they're misguided, but they're tapping into something deeply human. That's true, because yes, as Christians, we affirm that every human person longs for intimacy that goes beyond this world. So, if that's what spirituality is in a broad sense, what then is the spirit life in a biblical sense? Well, as I've said, Christian spirituality is all about God's spirit. The spirit part of spirituality is not about me. It's about God. It's God's spirit. And this language can get really confused, I know. But when we're talking about us, a human, I think the clearest biblical terms to use are body and soul. Body and soul. Body by physical makeup and soul this word recognizes that I'm more than just my, bio my biology. Peterson, Eugene Peterson puts it this way. Most of what makes us human is God. When we say soul, we are calling attention to the God origins, God intentions, and God operations that makes us who we are. So when we say spirit as Christians, we're talking about God's spirit. Not me, but God's Holy Spirit. And the spirit life is recognizing 
that as Christians, God's Spirit is a gift in us. It dwells in us. It's not us, but it dwells in us and around us. It's a paradigm shift, I know, because we're, search, we're used to people talking about and searching for my spirituality. But in, in, a, in a biblical sense, this is never the case. No, it's not mine. It doesn't belong to me. It's nothing that I can claim for my own. It's about God. Paying attention to God's Spirit around us, what He's doing in the world. And when we sense that yearning for something beyond my little life to give it meaning and significance... As Christians, we believe that there is actually something, and not just something, but someone, a personal God that exists, that can meet us there, and that has gifted us things, good things, like the ocean, that isn't God, no, but points us to Him in its vastness and beauty and depths. These are gifts that point us to the Creator. And all creation, Scripture tells us, cries out in this way. We don't worship it or make it our focus. We don't create a new spirituality out of it. Because the biblical critique here is important to remember. This would just be idolatry. Worshiping, substituting worship of the creator for the created. And finding ultimate value in a good thing like that can only go so far. It can never take us to the right place, God himself. It just doesn't work when we try to put our, put our hopes, put our desires, put our deepest longings on these created things. It's like using a butter knife to cut a loaf of toast. It just doesn't work after a while. It'll make, it'll make you too tired. It'll exhaust you. It'll make a mess out of, out of things. So the spirit life is giving ourselves over to God's spirit, the personal God who created all things and who can handle our longings for intimacy. Well, we need to say a little bit more about what it means to live this life. There's so much here, and I realize it can still be ambiguous. And I also realize you may be wondering, am I ever going to talk about Acts 2? And I am. Don't worry. I'm going to get there. Uh, And in Acts 2 today, I want to focus on Peter, our good friend Peter, and his explanation of what happened in that upper room in Acts 2. Because I think this helps us understand the spirit life, how he unpacks it. But at first, there's just no getting around it. This is a strange story. It's a strange, odd story. The spirit descends on the disciples in the upper room. Tongues of fire come down. Many people have tried to explain and figure out what that means. But whatever it means, tongues of fire come down. They descend and rest on the disciples' heads, and everyone starts speaking in languages Uh, as the Holy Spirit enables them. And then people from all over in Jerusalem hear the commotion, and they realized these are intelligible languages, that men and women were speaking in languages that they didn't even understand themselves. What is going on? This is wild. And some bystanders scoff. Oh, they must all be drunk. And if I walked by 120 people excited and carrying on in in unintelligible words at nine in the morning, I'd probably think there were mind-altering substances going on as well. But Peter, our good friend Peter, stands up and preaches the Pentecost sermon, the first sermon of the church. He kicks off the great tradition of Christian preaching with quite a sermon. And can we just pause for a minute and remember 
how far Peter has come from that first fireside scene where he denies Jesus. And then that second fireside where Jesus restores him and and encourages, commands him, blesses him to feed the sheep. And now here we get to see him doing it, feeding the sheep. He begins, no, friends, this isn't a festival exploring the spirituality of alcohol, although I know that's a thing. He explains what's going on, uh, and we'll look at that briefly in Acts chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Peter says, For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, or nine in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my flesh, or I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Let's pause there for a minute. Peter is explaining the spiritual experience going on, meaning the experience of God's Spirit, from the context of the Jewish prophets. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel, they all expected that in the last days, God's Spirit would be poured out freely on all people. This was the sign for them that the last days had arrived. And the New Testament church, Peter included, they saw Jesus and his ministry. And then the gift of the Spirit, this day of Pentecost, is marking the last days. Now, from our point of view, it doesn't seem to be the case that 2,000 years ago were the last days. How could that, how could that be? But from the larger perspective of time, Jesus did begin the last days. The season that we live in, from Jesus' coming until his final return, are indeed the last days. We also call this time the age of the Spirit, where we can live this Spirit life, where the Spirit's been poured out and available. But Peter goes on. He continues quoting the prophet Joel. So in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, in the context of of the book of Luke and Acts, we may be surprised, actually, at just how many of these prophetic markers that, uh, that Peter is quoting from Joel took place. Prophetic words and visions and dreams fill Luke chapters 1 and 2, the birth narratives. And on Good Friday, just 50, 51 or so days before, the sun was, in t- was indeed turned dark in a supernatural way. But where Joel and the other Old Testament prophets leave off in their prophecies, Peter picks up in this sermon, and he makes it clear in, into the present. You see, Joel wrote... Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
All the prophets, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Joel, they knew the Spirit was going to be poured out. They knew God would raise the dead in the last days and that everyone who called in the name of the Lord would be saved. But they didn't know what it was going to look like. Peter knew what it, what it looked like. He was a witness. He saw it with his eyes, and he told about it. Peter brings it all into focus. God made himself known in his friend, Jesus. That's what all this is going to be about and look like. It was the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead. And it was Jesus himself who gave the Spirit to the church on that Pentecost day. Listen to verse 33. It says, Jesus, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So according to Peter... The spirit life is a gift from Jesus, and it connects us to Jesus. Jesus talked a lot about this when he was on earth with his disciples. He said in John chapter 16, I'm going to go, but I will send you another, an advocate, a comforter who will always be with you. The Holy Spirit is another that Jesus sent. It's not, the Holy Spirit is not Jesus himself, but the Holy Spirit brings us into the presence of Jesus. The Holy Spirit brings the aroma of Jesus, the scent of Jesus. And the gift of the Spirit is also how Jesus could say at the end of Matthew's gospel, behold, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, that doesn't look to be the case when he ascends only 40 days later. But he is always with us, with the church, by the power of the Holy Spirit who again makes Jesus present. So here's the thing about the spirit life that Peter is telling us, that we're getting from Acts chapter 2 and his explanation of this, of this wild experience. The spirit life isn't about abstract transcendence intermingled with intimacy. The spirit life is intimacy with Jesus, the Lord and giver of life, the one who made himself like us and came and died for us out of love. The one who revealed his kingdom to, to be an upside-down kingdom where the last, the least, and the lost are welcomed in. The spirit life is intimacy with this Jesus brought to us by the Holy Spirit. It's not abstract. It's personal. The spirit life is personal intimacy with this God. But there's even more. Jesus says more. Take John 14, verse 23. Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home in him. So by the Spirit, the presence of the Father and the Son dwell within those who love God. And by this indwelling Spirit, God the Father... And this is the amazing thing. God the Father loves you and loves me just as much as he loves Jesus. When we start to sit with these things, it's overwhelming. The spirit life is not only receiving this love of God. It's not just being, being someone who is receiving God's love, but it's living within the love of God, between the Father and the Son, hemmed in by it, surrounded 
by it. The spirit life is in God's love. I like to picture it this way. Picture a glass bottle floating in the ocean. The the cork is gone. It's full of water. Maybe it's just floating right beneath the surface, still floating. The spirit life is like this. God's love. It's made vivid and available by Jesus. It not only surrounds you, like the ocean surrounds the bottle, but it's also inside you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul's words, he says so much that it's hard to understand at first, but they start to make sense in this reality. He says, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ, he says that over and over, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Or another in Galatians 2, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me lives. This is the gift of the spirit life, the presence of God living in you, remaking you, restoring you, renewing you. The presence of the living God surrounding you, in and out, sustaining you and marking you as his own forever. Well, when Peter finished preaching this sermon later on, Luke writes and tells us that everyone was cut to the heart. What shall we do about this? And maybe, maybe you're feeling a similar way right now. Or maybe you're asking, okay, all this sounds really nice and interesting, but how can I get in on this? How do I live the spirit life? How can I become more aware of God's spirit in me and around me? Well, Peter wraps up his sermon. He answers the question what to do in verses 38 and 39 of Acts 2. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. The spirit life isn't about me. It's not about you. It's not about my personal meaning. It's not about finding my personal legend, like Santiago in the classic tale, The Alchemist. No, Peter says it's about Jesus. And he starts right where Jesus started. When Peter started preaching, he started right where his, his buddy Jesus started, with the same words. Do you remember Jesus' first sermon in Matthew chapter 4? Repent, for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. And then Peter starts his first sermon. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Spirit. The Spirit life always starts with turning towards Jesus, which is repentance. It starts by turning away from my will and to His. And it's repentance, turning towards Jesus again and again and again that moves us deeper into this life of the Spirit, Repent and receive the gift of the Spirit. That's the command Peter gives. And it's not just a one-time command. You see, because we never finish repenting this side of eternity. And that's actually good news, because there's always more repentance, more layers of sin in our hearts that God lovingly wants to wipe away and wants to cleanse and wants to renew. 
But just like we never finish repenting in our lives, God never stops giving us the gift of his spirit. He never stops. Every time, he never stops giving us the gift of his spirit. It's not a one-time thing. When we ask, God gives faithfully. He gives us himself. He gives us his presence. Yes, we are marked by the Spirit from the moment we turn our hearts to God, from from the moment we are claimed by him, when we receive uh, the Spirit for the first time. We're marked. We're stamped for eternity. That's true. But the whole Spirit life isn't a one-and-done thing. It's not just it happens once and then it's done. As we repent, God gives again. He gives his spirit afresh over and over. Each day, each time we ask, he gives it to us again. And so later on today, in just a minute, we'll pray a prayer together, an ancient prayer of the church that's a simple one that says, Come, Holy Spirit, fill me today with your spirit. And it's a good spirit life prayer. It's a simple prayer. You can easily remember it. And it's a spirit life prayer because it's asking God's spirit, God's spirit, not my own, but God's spirit to come and fill me, to come and fill me, make me more aware of his life. Some people, when they pray and enter into praying for God's spirit, have emotional experiences. Uh, Some people don't. Sometimes people have dramatic feelings and uh, moments with God. Sometimes people experience whispers of God's love. Sometimes people experience just a settled peace of God's presence. And as I said, sometimes we don't feel anything at all. And all that's okay, and all that's normal. So as we pray together, as we uh, continue today, and then as we sing together, I want to remind you that the spirit life is available to you today. Wherever you are today, you're sitting in your home, driving your car, walking, Wherever you are, the spirit life is available to you right now. And it's a gift, a personal gift from Jesus to you, his presence for you. But I also want to remind you that the spirit life that we have now, that's a gift we can receive now, isn't isn't something that will last forever, actually. The time to repent and receive the spirit, as Peter said, preached is now, and it's temporary, because these are the last days, and if they wouldn't be the last days if they lasted forever, the age of the Spirit doesn't last forever. You see, Jesus, whose presence is the Spirit, he makes it clear that he will return to this earth one day as Lord, as Savior, as Judge, and he will complete his work of renewal that he started in the incarnation, that he started when he was born. And he will establish the kingdom of the heavens on earth as it is in heaven. And at this time, the Holy Spirit will be fully present and will unite the church, the church from those first apostles in the upper room who received the gift, all the way up to today. The Holy Spirit will unite all of us in songs of worship and songs of praise. All praise to Jesus. So living the spirit life now, it's taking us somewhere. It'll end in worship, the Lord and Savior of our lives. And living the spirit life now is leading us to this intimate moment, this transcendent moment that's more than any of us can imagine, more than any other reality that exists. 
intimate transcendence with the Lord and giver of life. Worshiping the God of all things in his glory with the company of all of God's people. And the amazing thing about it is that we know his name. His name is Jesus, and we can worship him today by his spirit, just as we will then. So we're going to pray now, and then we're going to sing, and we'll just first pray, come Holy Spirit, and invite God's spirit to come and dwell with us, and to fill us, again, wherever you are. Um, I invite you, if you're comfortable, to open, open your hands and simple posture of receiving. And we pray, Holy Spirit, will you come now? We are your people, we are your church that you have created, that you have called. Will you come now, Holy Spirit, and fill your church afresh today? Will you fill us to overrunning May our cup overflow by your life. May rivers of living water, as you promised Jesus, flow forth from our hearts as we come to you once again.